Amen. Turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2 within God's Word. Luke chapter 2 within God's Word as we begin a new sermon series that will take us to Easter. And I'm endeavoring to preach through the entire gospel of Luke chapter by chapter. And turn to Luke chapter 2. We'll pick up on Luke 1 later on. But Luke chapter 2 this morning within God's Word. If you have a sermon study guide, and if you'd like to follow along, uh, make sure you have one. If you did not receive one, the ushers will give you one as you raise your hand. Amen. You made it through Turkey Day. Are you going to make it through Christmas? Oh my. Christmas. Christmas. I got out the Christmas deer on Thanksgiving night and plugged it in and I am done with lights around the house. If I was spiritual, I'd have a Christmas angel in my front lawn, but I got a Christmas deer. I'm not even a deer hunter. The deal was I got a good deal on the deer. I haven't yet found a good deal on a Christmas angel, or I'd get a Christmas angel out there. Many of you remember my stories of old because I used to light up the entire front yard. I had the ambition, I had the drive that I was going to outdo every neighbor on the street. And I probably killed myself numerous occasions. That is not a hyperbole, that is not an exaggeration. As I try to outdo every neighbor and have every string of light on every tree, every bush, anything I could put lights on. I mean, I felt like Christmas Vacation, where the movie where they had to go into nuclear power to be able to give the auxiliary energy for Chevy Chase to light up his home. And several times I was on that top step, you know that step that's two steps above the step you're not supposed to go up on. And I'd be balancing up there with a long extension pole with a clothes hanger on the end of that pole, stringing lights around a tree. My kids have nightmares of the frigid cold handing me the string of lights. One year, I strung up an entire tree from the top to the bottom and then put it around the trunk of the tree, you know, tight, real tight, and then plugged it in. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> That's a time when you say, praise Jesus. <laughs> and I went through that entire string of lights. To, I should have just threw it away. You know, they're like two, three bucks for a little box of lights from China. I should have just gone and bought, bought new lights. But no, uh, this Dutchman has to go through bulb after bulb. And I strung it out on the driveway Finally got it working, found where the short was, and uh, turned around to do something else in the front yard. Looked back with horror upon my face. My two children, Julie and Jonathan, were playing jump rope with Jenny jumping in the middle. And bulbs are just smashing everywhere up and down that driveway. I still have emotional scar tissue from Christmas memories. Do you agree with me? Christmas can come with a lot of stress. Shopping, shoppers, the traffic, the decorating, the cooking, uh, the preparing for parties, uh, 
uh, you know, certain phrases bring up the stress of Christmas. Batteries not included. Assembly required. I really love that one. How are we going to pay for all this? Or when the kids start saying, or the teenagers, I don't like this. I don't want this. This is a gift for losers. I got that one one year. And then there's the Christmas travel. The Christmas, did you look on the news and see those Thanksgiving travelers at the airport? Are you crazy to travel at Thanksgiving time? It was bizarre. The airport security so jammed with people. I heard one business traveler say this about one certain airlines. He was asked, this business uh, man, uh, wh why is it that uh, he denotes his suitcase uh, uh, with a string of mistletoe? Uh, when he travels with a certain airline. You know, my wife, Becky, you can always tell uh, her suitcase as it's coming down the conveyor belt, it's got this long orange yarn on it. Well, this guy puts mistletoe anytime he travels to certain airlines. When he was asked, why mistletoe? He says, when you travel with this airlines, you might as well kiss your luggage goodbye. <laughs> Stress. Distress. Depressed. Oh, it can happen at, at Christmas time. But would you agree with me? Christmas is just a snapshot. It's just a small slice of all of life. We laugh about the stress of Christmas, but then there is the distress and the depressed, not just in Christmas, but in real life. What is it this morning that has you distressed or even depressed? Is it your finances? Is it your job or the lack thereof? Is it a phone call you just got from the doctor? Is it a diagnosis? Or perhaps even it's your relationship with the Lord. You know, I take a great comfort in a certain aspect of the Christmas story that I've never preached on before. That the Lord has made real to my life, and it's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It's my main text this morning. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Nearby where? Bethlehem. Keeping watch over their flocks. At what time? In the morning? When the noontime sun was blazing, uh, was it in the afterglow of, of the setting sun? When? Two words. At night. At night. I want those two words to grip a hold of your soul, your spirit this morning. Perhaps, as I'm speaking to you right now, I've caught you at a nighttime hour, a nighttime experience in your life. Perhaps for you, if we would freely admit with one another, right now, for you and yours, you're at night. It's a nighttime experience. Well, I've got a great promise for you based on Luke chapter 2. It's the title of this message. Mark it down in your soul this morning. He gives 
He brings a song in the night. He does that. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, and speak to us this morning. We need you to speak to us. We need your song. We need you to sing through us. Oh, Spirit of God, in the name of Jesus, amen. If you'd like to take notes with me this morning, fill in the blank. Uh, to every life, would you agree with this? To every soul, there comes nighttime experiences. For these shepherds, in Luke chapter 2, the darkness that they experienced was far more than the natural light. There's three facts we know about shepherds in that day and that time. Number one, shepherds were nobodies. They were the lowest of the low class. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd. I'll be preaching on that in the weeks to come. We'll talk more about what it meant to be a shepherd. They were uncouth. They were the country bumpkins. They were even known as spiritually unclean. They smelled like their sheep. What do we also know? The shepherds, along with all of the other Jewish people that day and time, were under the power of the Roman government. They didn't have any rights. They were not truly free. They were in bondage. Can you imagine waking up tomorrow morning and finding out your American citizenship was worthless and you were no longer free? Thirdly, would you take your finger right now, your thumb or your index finger, and put it between the Old Testament and the New Testament in your Bible? If you brought a Bible to church, if you have a Bible, you can't do this with your smartphone. Take your finger and put it between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's a Bible right in front of you or behind you in the pew. Put your finger in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. As you hold your finger there, I want you to understand that this is known as the intertestamental period. The intertestamental period. The period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament was how long? 400 years. Four centuries. It was 400 years of God's silence. No prophet. No word from the Lord. No miracles. God seemed distant. So this nighttime, this dark hour, this nighttime experience was accentuated even more so because God seemingly had abandoned His children, His nation, Israel. What would like to flood your soul with darkness this morning? The darkness of a nighttime experience? Would you agree with me? It, it's a nighttime experience when you lose your job. and You don't know. You don't know. How? How are we going to pay the bills? It's a dark hour when somebody has rejected you. Somebody has falsely accused you. Somebody has betrayed you. And they used to be your friend. They used to be your loved one. You used to be able to trust them. It's a nighttime for your soul when the doctor calls and, and though you, you feel just fine, 
the diagnosis, the diagnosis is bad. The test results are positive. And your nighttime experience is your worst nightmare. It's a dark hour of the soul when your spouse admits to having an affair. It's a dark hour. It's the devil's hour of a life when, when your child says, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with mom. I don't want anything to do with dad. And I don't want anything to do with your Jesus either and walks out on you. It's a terrible nighttime experience when you bend over a coffin and you give the final goodbye kiss to the one that you've loved the most. And all you can think about are the terrible, terrible lonely hours, the dark hours ahead. Loneliness. Mark it well, if you would. Who, who is the source? Who is the source of these nighttime experiences of the soul? Paul, Paul hit it well in Ephesians 6. Paul said, we are not fighting against people. Our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies, mighty, satanic beings. Let us never forget that. Did you hear what Paul is saying? Behind the scene of financial hardship, behind the scene of sickness and affliction, behind the scene of marital discord and fragmented families, behind the scene of crime and violence, war, drugs, disease, depression, pornography, and perversion, there is an enemy whose power and intelligence so surpasses us that we pale in comparison. He is so mighty, he defeated the strongest man, Samson. He is so powerful and wise, he defeated the wisest man, Solomon. He is so skillful that he possessed a man who walked with Jesus for three years and ultimately betrayed Christ, Judas. Who is this mighty being that I speak of? Satan. 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 That's why our nighttime experiences can be our darkest hours. Do you, think, do you think that Satan necessarily targets the unbeliever? Does he target those that uh, are, are, are atheistic, those that are in rebellion against God? No, he targets you and I. That's why I want to remind you, your nighttime experience, your dark hour can be the devil's hour. Paul says, do not be ignorant of how the enemy works. Peter said, be vigilant, be sober, be serious, be on the alert for your enemy, your adversary, Satan, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He brings his attack upon believers and Christians. Many times he knows that you won't walk out on God, but he can paralyze you in the faith so that you are of no threat to his kingdom or to his power. Our dark hours, our nighttime experiences, they're the devil's hour. Seemingly a hopeless hour. But our Jesus knows different, doesn't he? Our Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 gave us hope 
In Matthew 28, verse 18, remember the words of Christ? What did Jesus say? All authority, not some, all authority in heaven, in the spiritual dimension, and on earth has been given to me. How much authority does that, does that leave the old devil, old slewfoot? How much authority does that leave Satan? None. Zilch. Nada. Zero. Jesus has all authority. Don't forget that. King of kings and Lord of lords. Plus, we've read the end of the book. It doesn't end in a whimper. It ends in a roar. We're on the winning side. Our God reigns. He wins. Uh, his kingdom is everlasting. Glory to God. Go ahead. You can give him praise and glory. Amen. I know you've had turkey day. I know you're going through the holidays. I, I know what congregate after 20 plus years, I know what congregations are like after they've gone through the holidays. They're kind of here in body, but in spirit, we got to call them to be present. That's okay. Amen. Mark it down. It's the enemy's strategy, would you agree with me, to enslave us with worry. In these dark hours, the devil's hour, our nighttime experiences. Listen, no one is exempt from worry knocking upon our heart's door. Everybody struggles with worry. Young people worry that they won't be accepted, that they won't be popular, that they won't have friends. Uh, some worry because they're not married. And others worry because they are married. We worry about money. We worry about our looks. We worry about our health. We worry about our body's bulges, our, our baldness, and our bunions. I like how one put it, worry is interest paid on trouble that usually never happens. Worry will steal hours of precious sleep at night. How is it that it's the nighttime, it's the dark, where our worries, our stresses, our fears are accentuated? Have you ever noticed that? Do you wake up in the middle of the night worrying about things that 99% of them won't ever, ever happen? Worry will give you a day filled with Maylock's moments. Worry, I've said it so often, it's like, a, it's like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but you won't get anywhere. Worry will fill your face with wrinkles. It'll make you look like you've been hit with an ugly stick. Worry, worry can be the mother of cancer, heart disease, high blood pressure, ulcers, and a host of other diseases. There's only one place that worry will get you. Ahead of time, the cemetery. But worry's worst consequences, write it down, are spiritual. Spiritual. That's the worst consequence with worry. We cannot worry and trust God at the same time. Worry is faith rejection. Worry is putting your faith in your fears. That's what worry is. Worry. Worry will rob you of God confidence. It'll rob you of a peace that passes all understanding and the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. The worry will short-circuit your prayer life. It'll keep you from receiving your miracle. God cannot answer the worry ward. He will not walk with a worrier. Worry 
It'll quarantine you from the presence of God, a God who cannot and will not fail you. No wonder Paul said in 2 Timothy 1, Paul said, God has not given us a spirit of fear or worry. Fear is proof that the enemy has control of your mind. Worry? If anybody asks me what worry is, I'd tell you that worry is wrong focus. Worry is fear focus. Instead of being faith focused, you're now fear focused. You're problem focused. It's the worship of the what ifs. Worry will put you into bondage, enslavement to the enemy. When you're worrying, he pulls you around on his leash. He yanks your chain. When you're walking in worry, you're heeding his bidding. You're marching to his orders. When you're worrying, you're marching to his drumbeat. You see, it's not just how he wants you focused, but worry is the devil's favorite form of worship. There it is. There's the spiritual root of worry. Worry, worry is fear-focused. Worry is a form of satanic worship at its heart. That's why I'm glad for Luke chapter 2. That's why I'm glad for the Lord's song, His song in the night. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news uh, that will cause great joy for all the people today. Today. 400 years <laughs> has ceased. Today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host. This is heaven's armies. These are not namby-pamby, wimpy angels. These are the angelic armies of heaven. <laughs> Suddenly, they appeared with the angel doing what? Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace. Peace to those on whom His favor rests. His favor will rest upon you if you walk with the Lord. I want you to mark it down well to these shepherds that were gripped in a nighttime experience, the dark hour of the soul, the devil's hour. To these shepherds, God brought a song in the night. Uh, it's God's song. It's His song of praise. And what did this song from heaven say? I want you to mark it well. Heaven's song is a song of peace. A song of peace. A song of peace. Listen to what they said. And on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. This peace 
cannot be found in Jack Daniels. This peace cannot be taken uh, with a prescription and a pill. Uh, this peace uh, is a person, and his name is Jesus. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He desperately loves you. He is for you. He is the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Let's be reminded. Would you agree with me? Worry-free living. Where do you find worry-free living? Worry-free living isn't found in a place. It's not found in Florida, Arizona, California, or even Hawaii. The only ideal place is a travel poster that promises you something that never stacks up. That's right. That's right. You think you found the ideal place on this earth, and I'll tell you, <laughs> you better check your baggage because you brought your problems with you. There is no perfect place. Worry-free living, would you agree with me? Don't say amen too loud on this. Worry-free living isn't found in a marriage. Oh boy, it's deathly quiet. I've had him sit across from me. Well, Pastor, I want to get married. Marriage will make me happy. Marriage hasn't made anybody happy. <laughs> Honey, sir, ma'am, young person, hear me in this. Marriage will not make you happy. You bring happiness into a marriage. You wake up every morning with the goal upon your heart. I'm going to make my mate, my spouse, my lover, I'm going to make her or him happy in the name of Jesus. Stop looking to your spouse to be something that Jesus only was meant to be in your life. Some of you are so critical with your spouse because you expect your spouse to be the perfect solution to all of your happiness. And you're down on them because you haven't found complete happiness with your spouse. Your spouse is not Jesus. I know that might be a fresh, brand new revelation to you. Now, if they think they're Jesus, schedule an appointment with Pastor Hell. They have delusions of grandeur. <laughs> Only Jesus was meant to satisfy our soul, not our spouses. I better get off this bunny trail, get back on Christmas. Real peace, worry-free living. It's not found in a place. It's not found in marriage. It's not found in that positive thinking psychology pap that's out there today. Don't worry. Be happy. Would you agree with me, retirees? Worry-free living isn't found in retirement. I got one to agree. You know, they say that old age, old age is the metallic age. Gold in your teeth, silver in your hair, and lead in your pants. <laughs> the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12.2 said this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Most of our counseling would be solved if people would just fix their eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. When you fix your eyes on Jesus, you're focused on one who has dealt with every problem that you will ever confront. The Bible says that he was tempted. He was tested in all points such as we are and even much more so. 
The devil tries to get a perfect person to fall and fail and brings on his heat much fiercer than he does with the unbeliever. Yes, Jesus knows all about it. When you're focused on your Lord who cannot fail, you don't worry about your health because Dr. Jesus is in the house. <laughs> and Dr. Jesus is still in the miracle business. Amen? You don't worry about your finances. Hallelujah. For our God shall supply all of our needs according to His riches in glory. You don't worry about loneliness. For He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Lo, I am with you always. You don't worry about tomorrow. Listen, we don't know about tomorrow, but we know the one who holds tomorrow in His hands. Amen? <laughs> you don't worry about death. When you're walking with Jesus, the Prince of Peace, when you're fo focused and fixed on Him, you don't worry about death because He lives, we can really live. <laughs> Amen. Amen. To live is Christ and to die is gain. You don't worry about the lies. The lies that come from the pit of hell that say that you're a nobody, that you're a loser, that you're a misfit. That, that you know, you don't worry what other people say about you because you're not what the world says you are. You're not what your past or your sins say you are. You're definitely not what the devil says you are. You're what God says you are. You're a born again, blood washed, demon fighting, Bible believing soldier of the cross. And God looks down upon you and says, This is my child in whom I'm well pleased. Walk in that, believe that, embrace that. Sing it and shout it. I'm what God says I am. I'm no longer a nobody. I'm a somebody in Christ Jesus. Amen. But heaven's song, mark it down well, is first and foremost a song of praise. What did the angels sing? What were the lyrics to their song? Glory to God in the highest heaven. Worry is a spiritual magnifying glass. Worry magnifies our problems. Worry magnifies our fears. Worry magnifies our depression. It glorifies the devil. Praise, on the other hand, is also a spiritual magnifier. Praise magnifies our God who cannot and who will not fail you. You begin to see Him not only as a great God, but as a good God who always does good things for His children. The psalmist said it, Psalms 34, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together every time that you seek to praise the Lord. Instead of just going through the motions, instead of just following suit and singing the lyrics or doing your church thing, when you get your heart into praise and worship, when you really worship and love the Lord and exalt His holy name in praise and worship, when you lift your hands, when you lift your head, when you lift your voice and sing it uh, or shout it or say it or even strum it, uh, when you praise the Lord, you enlarge His character. You enlarge His person. You enlarge his blessings and all that he does 
You receive fresh revelation of who your God is and what He can do in your nighttime experience. Hallelujah. I want you to write down an equation. Would you write this down in your side notes? Write down an equation. Would you with me? Write down greater praise. Greater praise equals greater revelation. Greater revelation equals greater faith. Faith is the key. Faith is the key. The reason so many prayers go unanswered. The reason that many do not receive miracles or healings or anything from God is because they short-circuit the miraculous through lack of faith. They choose to walk with worry and fear instead of walking with God in faith. The Bible says that Jesus, when He returned to His hometown, His hometown of Nazareth, He could do very little miracles. Why? The Bible states it was because of unbelief, their little faith. When I praise the Lord, when I truly praise the Lord, instead of just singing songs, when I truly praise the Lord instead of just going through the motions and put my heart into it and choose to press into His presence with praise and worship, I begin to see my God as my Savior, my Redeemer. I begin, as I declare unto Him, You're my healer. I praise You that You're my deliverer. You're my victory. You're my joy and my sunshine. I ascribe unto You honor and glory and power and blessing. You're my God who cannot and who will not fail. King of kings and Lord of lords. You praise the Lord like that. And it's not a matter of emotion. Pastor gets emotional. It's just my personality. It's not a matter of emotion. It's a matter of the position of your spirit. When you choose as an act of your will to begin to praise the Lord and ascribe unto Him who He is and what He has done and what He will do, what happens? Your revelation of who your God is is magnified. You get your mind off your problems and onto the person and the presence of God. You begin to enlarge. You begin to magnify the greatness and the glory of your Father. And what happens to your faith in the process? Your faith begins to enlarge. Your faith begins to arise. Your faith begins to build up. and Your faith engages the miraculous in your situation, in your life. Greater praise means greater revelation. Greater revelation means greater faith. And it opens the door for God to do what no man could ever possibly do. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But with God, all things are possible to them that what? Believe. You got it. Amen. 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 Mark it down. A great illustration of this is Paul and Silas. Do you remember Paul and Silas's nighttime experience? They were missionaries in Macedonia, missionaries in the Roman colony of Philippi, a Roman colony in the province in Greece of Macedonia. And they were imprisoned because of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Their backs had been beaten with wooden rods repeatedly. They were a bloody mess. Unclean, unwashed, these festering, bleeding, infected wounds. They sat in the muck and the mess of an inner dungeon, the high security dungeon of the Philippian jail. The jailer had been threatened with not just his job, his life, if any of these had escaped. And in Acts chapter 16, as these men are locked into the stocks, they have a choice. How will they respond in this dark hour, this devil's hour, their nighttime experience? It's one of the favorite verses in my life. Acts 16.25 And at midnight, what did they do? Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And they must have sung so loud, the prisoners, the Bible says, heard them. Now when the Bible says here that they prayed, there's nothing remarkable about that. Listen, I've been at a lot of tragedies. I have visited a lot of emergency situations. Whether it's a car accident scene, a house accident scene, or even being in the ER. And listen, there's hardly a scene that I have ever visited that people don't pray at it, both believers and unbelievers. What's the first thing that comes out of sinners' mouths at a car accident scene, or an emergency, or a tragedy? OMG. Oh my God. Oh my God. God help us. God help us. Both sinners and saints have no problem praying in, the, in a nighttime experience. So I don't find that anything remarkable. You go in the hospital and walk up and down the corridors with us, you'll hear all kinds of people praying. And some of them probably have never darkened the door of a church or, or walked with Jesus. Go to jails. People pray. Yeah. So there's nothing remarkable here in Acts 16.25 about these guys who, who are praying. But there's a moment in those that walk in the Spirit, there is a moment where God says, stop praying, stop pleading, stop interceding. I'm not deaf. <laughs> I can hear you. <laughs> and start praising me. Start thanking me for the miracle. Start praising me for the victory. Stop, start shouting at your Jericho wall because it's going to come down. <laughs> start praising and worshiping me. And that's what they did. They began to praise the Lord so loudly. They began to praise the Lord so much that the other prisoners heard them. And the Bible says that God set a mighty earthquake. Now let me back up. I would love, I would have loved, I would have loved to pull the veil aside and to have seen, to have seen what hell, I'm talking about the kingdom of hell, Satan's throne room, I would have loved to have seen what it must have looked like at that hour. I can imagine with Paul and Silas in that Philippian jail, I can imagine that Satan was there sitting on his throne. 
And the demons were dining. The devils were dancing. He's laughing. <laughs> and then hell's hotline rings. And Paul picks up the phone. And it's his agent, his demonic agent in Philippi. And I can imagine old Slewfoot saying, Ha! Tell me, what's Paul doing? Is he throwing in the towel? Are him and Silas finally quitting? Tell me, has the gospel been stopped? Is Paul cussing? And then the agent from Philippi responds, Oh, Lucifer, I want you to know he hasn't quit. He's not cussing. He's not cursing. They're praising the Lord. No! And I can imagine a mighty majestic voice piercing that darkness, declaring as our Lord would boom through the halls of hell, Mine is the kingdom. I am the glory. I am the power forever. I was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys to hell, death, and the grave. And because I live, they shall live. Hallelujah. Mine is the victory. And then the earthquake comes. And all the prisoners are set free. The jailer tries to commit suicide, but Paul said, Sir, none of us have escaped. The jailer says, How can I be saved? Tell me what I must do to be born again. And Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and not only you, but your whole family will be saved. It happened just as Paul said it. Amen. You see, praise and worship not only sets you free, it sets those around you free as well. God creates a miraculous pathway for His glory to be seen in you and through you for the saving of souls. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your entire household. Praise will move you from fear to faith. Praise will move you into God's holy presence. In His presence there's fullness of joy. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. When you choose to praise the Lord, write it down. When you choose to praise the Lord, heaven's song will become your song. Luke 2.15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. There they found Mary. Mary who in Luke chapter 1 had also witnessed the angel. And when Mary said, how can this thing happen to me? Since I'm a virgin, the, the angel had said, uh, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, so that which is conceived in you will be of the Lord, and He shall be a Savior to His people. Joseph was told, and thou shalt call His name Jesus, which means salvation. The shepherds, they came and worshipped the Christ child. They found baby Jesus lying in a manger. And then they became the first missionaries that you ever read of in the New Testament as they went about sharing the good news. Messiah has come and His name is Jesus and He will be a Savior to His people. 
But what I want you to focus on is verse 20. The shepherds returned. Can you say that with me? The shepherds returned. The shepherds returned. Tomorrow morning, you're going to return. It's Monday morning. Gee, thanks for reminding me, Pastor. Not only will you be returning from vacation, you'll be returning from the presence of God here in God's house here at Lakeside. You'll be returning from church. You can have the mountaintop here. And I believe we ought to strive for mountaintop experiences at His altar and His presence because you need it on Monday morning. And you're going to return. The shepherds returned, and they were still shepherds. Country bumpkins, nobodies in the eyes of their countrymen. They returned back to smelly sheep. They returned back to the bondage of Rome. Their circumstances were unchanged. But they were changed. Because now they were singing His song. He had given them a song in the night. And once you got a song, <laughs> you need to sing it. <laughs> The moment you were born again, God gave you a song. <laughs> Amazing grace. <laughs> How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Blind, but now I see. The Lord has given me a song. Do you have a song? Do you have a song? He's given every one of you Christians, every one of the born again, every child of God, He's given you a song. <laughs> and He'll especially give you a song in your nighttime hour. Sing it. Sing it. Endeavor to praise the Lord no matter what. Anybody can praise the Lord after the miracle. Anybody can give an applause, a clap offering to the Lord after a healing. After anybody can give a praise a word to the Lord, a, a sing a song of praise and thanksgiving when they get a new job, when their finances are reversed, when their circumstances are changed, when the healing comes. Anybody. But I want to walk and talk with the believers who are going to shout before Jericho's wall comes down. I want to walk with the victory bunch, the praise bunch. I want to walk with those who have a song in the night who keep praising the Lord before the miracle comes, before the answer comes. That's the kind of maturity that the Lord is calling you to, to give Him praise before you see the answer to your prayer. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising the Lord. Their circumstances were unchanged, but they were changed. It was probably, my wife could correct me, seven years ago. It was around seven, six years ago. And I was working in my garage. I was working at my work table. And I was there in my man cave enjoying my time as we were getting ready for Julie's wedding that was going to take place a year later. So that puts it six years ago. Becky was up in the garage attic. And there up in the garage attic, she was cleaning up there and I could hear her footsteps above me. If you were ever in my garage, you would see that it's nine feet 
high from floor to ceiling. And there, uh, in that garage, it is so high, the ceiling is so high, that uh, you could probably play basketball in there. She's up there walking around when all of a sudden the ceiling exploded. And Becky fell through the ceiling, falling on her back. I dove at the very last second and got my arms underneath her to try to break her fall, but I couldn't break it completely. She fell exactly where there's a concrete step, and she landed on the edge of the step. Part of her body here, part down here. And in a semi-conscious state, and her whole body like jelly, I called 911, and I began praying in tongues over her. And then I just began praising the Lord for the miracle that was going to come out of this situation. The nighttime experience expanded as the doctors did not know what had taken place in her neck or her back. She was fitted in a complete plastic brace, her neck immobilized, and I can't remember how many x-rays, MRI, CAT scan, but we waited all night long, and then it began just to seize my spirit in the darkness of that situation. It began to seize my spirit where I wondered, is my wife going to be in a wheelchair? Is my wife going to be crippled, paralyzed for the rest of my life? Her life. Is she going to be paralyzed from the neck down? And we waited on the results. During those long hours, of waiting I was crying and doubt wanted to seize me but I said no and I remembered Acts 16 25 at their midnight hour my hands shot up those doctors and nurses probably thought I was crazy there in that ER stall and I began to praise the Lord and begin to sing to the Lord it wasn't prisoners, but other patients most likely heard me. And then that's when the report came in. Everything in the neck, everything in the spine is a-okay. She's going to be all right. She did have a, a broken arm. She's got a 19-inch plate in her left arm. And every time we go through airport security, oh my. I'm here to tell you, your nighttime experience might be a whole night in ER. It might be an entire year that you walk through dark hours. But I'm here to tell you that if you'll choose to praise the Lord, your Lord is faithful. He's a good God. He's a great God. When they came back with the report, I just kept saying, you're a good God, a good God, a great God. The importance is this. No matter how dark your night is, He brings a song in the night. Amen. Father, the name of Jesus, Lord, we lift up this dear congregation. And Lord, we know that You're speaking from heaven. We know that You're singing from heaven. 
we know that Lord you're sounding forth from heaven Lord we know that you want to give your people a song in the night Lord Jesus we're not gonna doubt you we're not gonna wait for the test results we're not gonna wait for the outcome we're not gonna wait to even see the miracle we're gonna praise you right now we're gonna give you a song in the night because Lord your song becomes our song as heads are bowed and eyes are closed I want to ask you, are you right with God? The shepherds went and found Jesus. Have you found Jesus? Do you know the Christ of Christmas? Do you know that you know that you're in right relationship with the Almighty? And that you have a home in heaven, sins forgiven, a clean slate. That's what God wants to do in your life. How about it? Isn't it time you say yes to Jesus? His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to pray a prayer. A prayer of salvation. If you would like to be included in this prayer, would you just lift up your hand right now? I'm not going to take a long time with this. I just don't want to close this service without giving opportunity for people to discover Jesus. Lift it up high so that I can see it. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you. God bless you. Amen. How many more? How many more? Lift it up high to Jesus. Precious Jesus. Amen. The Lord sees these hands. That's what's important. Okay, let's pray this prayer together. A prayer of salvation. Everyone pray this prayer with me if you would. And you that have lifted up your hands, make this prayer your prayer. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now. And I confess, I am a sinner. But Jesus, you're my Savior. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for cleansing me, for making me brand new, for giving me a home in heaven. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I receive this as I believe it. Amen. Stand with me right now, if you would. Praise the Lord. If you said that, if you prayed that this morning, according to the Holy Scriptures, you are born again. You're made brand new in Christ Jesus. 